Welcome to the South Fellowship Church Podcast. Here at South Fellowship, we exist to help people live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. We are currently in our Under the Radar series, where we are seeing God at work through obscure biblical characters. Wherever you're listening from today, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Hey, so great to see all of you in person here today. And if you're joining us online, welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, my name's Scott Wenigan. I have the privilege of helping out uh, with preaching here at South on occasion. So I am just thrilled to be here with all of you. I think, uh, though, before we get to the scripture and the sermon, we ought to give Darwin and Aaron a huge hand for the great job they did leading us in worship. Aaron, we've seen you and your team online, but it's a lot better in person. So God bless you. Uh, As Amy just said uh, during the uh, children's video, we're going to look at another character in our Under the Radar series. It's the Roman centurion, Cornelius. So if you brought a Bible, I would like to encourage you to turn to Acts chapter 10. Uh, I'm going to read the first eight verses for us, but we're going to continue on through this great, great narrative uh, after we get through these first eight verses and see what the Lord would teach you and me. Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 1. Let's pay close attention here, friends. This is God's word to you and to me. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Uh, One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Well, let's uh, pray together, and then uh, we will look at this text and the rest of the narrative. Father, this is a holy moment. As your people, we've gathered together online and corporately here in person, under the blood of the Lamb, and in the hope and promise of his resurrection, and through the gift of his Spirit. Lord, we all bring a lot of needs in here this morning. We know what they are, whether we're sitting at home in our family room or out on the uh, deck or we're sitting here in a chair in this auditorium. Lord, we want to bring our needs before you. We ask that you would hear our prayers, you would meet our needs, you would extend your grace and your mercy to us. And Lord, now as we look into this text, my prayer is that you would take this time and these words, enlighten our minds, Encourage our hearts and empower our hands to do the work that you've called us to do. 
Lord, we ask this in the great and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, back in the 1960s, there was a prominent work of God that started out in California that in time was labeled the Jesus Movement by various sociologists and historians. Uh, the Jesus Movement spread quickly throughout all parts of the United States, to Canada, to various parts of Central America, and it even crossed the ocean to certain elements of Europe and England. Now, eventually, because of huge numbers of young people who were gathering in these large outdoor venues to worship, and they were singing all these new Christian songs, and they were listening to preachers like Chuck Smith teach the Bible, the Jesus Movement even got national media attention with a cover story on Time magazine. And because the Jesus Movement had a really strong charismatic element to it, and its members were visibly and I might add, verbally devoted to the Lord. They became known as Jesus freaks. Now, I didn't grow up in church world, but in my freshman year of college, I encountered some of these Jesus freaks, and the Lord really used them to get me to read the Bible. And eventually, a few months later, I gave my life to Jesus. I have lots and lots of fond memories of those years, and over the decades, I've had the privilege of seeing the Lord move in some other great ways as well. But in all honesty, the challenges and disruptions and just plain weirdness of the last five months have been emotionally and in some ways spiritually taxing for me, and I suspect for many of you as well. I don't think it's too much of an exaggeration to say that the pandemic, the economic meltdown, the social disruption, and all of our church shutdowns have caused some tra trauma in our hearts and our minds. My guess is we've all probably felt some fear, some anxiety. I know we felt disconnected from people we care about. And somewhere along the way, some of us, maybe even many of us, have felt disconnected from God. A good pastor friend of mine quoted one of his parishioners as recently saying, the past few months have made me feel distant from God, discouraged in my faith, and in all honesty, it's made me wonder if the Lord's doing anything at all. I appreciate that man's honesty more than he realizes because he gives voice to a lot of feelings that many of us have had. In light of that, I found a lot of comfort in the fact that at one very difficult point in his ministry, where he was surrounded by his enemies and it didn't seem as if the kingdom of God was advancing as he wanted, Jesus said, my father is always at work to this very day and I am working as well. Now, if we fast forward from when Jesus made that statement in the Gospels to the book of Acts, uh, we see that Jesus continued his redemptive work through the men and women of the early church. In fact, in Acts chapter 1, we're told that after his death and his resurrection, Jesus gathered the disciples together, and he told them to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit, who would empower them. And then move them to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. And the rest of the book of Acts 
shows how God's Spirit did exactly that. And that leads us to our text here in chapter 10. As we just read, Luke, who is the author of the book of Acts, introduces us to this Roman centurion by the name of Cornelius. Uh, Cornelius had the responsibility for overseeing 100 Roman soldiers and helping to campaign. Yeah, uh, helping to maintain Roman imperial control of the area around Caesarea, which was on the Mediterranean coast. But what's of greater significance is that Cornelius was a Gentile, and he's what the Jews called a God-fearer. What that meant was is that as a Gentile, he worshiped the God of Israel. And it's clear, I mean, from the text, it says that Cornelius was really devoted to his newfound religion because he consistently prayed. He gave money to the poor. But even though he's really, really religious and he's really, really pious, friends, we need to understand that he is still part of what the New Testament labels someone who is lost. He does not yet know Jesus, who's the Messiah and the Lord who has come to bring salvation to humanity. And so God, in his incredible mercy, sends Cornelius this angelic vision. And it tells him to send for the apostle Peter, who's staying some 30 miles away in the city of Joppa. And so Cornelius does exactly that. Oh, these first eight verses of this narrative are really, really, really important because they show us that God is moving in the lives of the lost. Friends, God is not sitting on his hands in heaven doing nothing or all worked up in a tazzy over the social and cultural and political dysfunction of the United States. God is not someone who is unconcerned about people who are getting sick and dying. No, our God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is compassionate. He's gracious. He's merciful. He's the great shepherd who cares for all of his sheep. And this is what we need to note. He goes after those who are the lost sheep as well. God is moving in the lives of the lost. Friends, within a three-mile radius of this church as we're sitting here this morning, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in Denver, Englewood, Littleton, and Centennial who do not yet know Jesus. They're lost. And while we may not be able to see it, and they may not be aware of it, the Lord is moving in their lives today because they matter to Him. Christ died for them, and he wants to draw them into a saving relationship with himself. You might know some of them. I probably know some of them. There are many of them we don't know. But at some point in the coming months and in the coming years, some of them, and I pray lots and lots and lots of them, are going to profess faith in Christ because right now today, Sunday, August 23rd, 2020, the Lord is moving in their lives in some way or another. I cannot stress how important it is for all of us 
whether we're church staff, we're elders here at South, or we're regular tenders here at South, to keep that in mind as we walk through the rest of this text. You see, God is not only moving in the lives of the lost, he's also moving in the lives of the saved. Look at verses 9 and following. The next day, that is, the day after Cornelius receives his vision, the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, that's Cornelius' guys, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air, and there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. The voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, as we look at this portion of the text, it's crucial that we remember, and I think Amy said this on her video, that all the first disciples of Jesus were Jews. They were ethnically Jews, and they grew up in Jewish homes, and they attended synagogue from the time they were itty-bitties. They learned the Torah. They avoided contact with non-Jews, meaning Gentiles, and they followed the food laws of Leviticus as laid down by Moses. And even though he's the leader of the apostolic band and the new church in Jerusalem, Peter's still committed to following the religious rituals that he had grown up with. And I think that's perfectly understandable because these practices had been drilled into him from his earliest memories. And he still lives in a predominantly Jewish culture. Now, from the perspective of the Old Testament... There was the principle of spiritual, moral, and physical safety behind all of those food laws. But when Jesus finally came as the long-awaited Messiah and Lord, he fulfilled all of those in his life and his ministry, and so they were no longer needed. So instead of excluding people, Jesus now wants to include people. And so from the time of his resurrection on, God's people would no longer be identified by the foods they ate or didn't eat or by circumcision or by whether or not they kept the Sabbath on Saturday. From the time of Jesus' resurrection on, God's people were now to be identified by their personal saving relationship with him and by a life of care and compassion and concern for all kinds of people. Now, in order to grow Peter, develop Peter, and move Peter further along in the direction of his new identity in Christ as Messiah, God gives him this vision of certain forbidden foods, which God now declares clean, or if you want to use the Jewish term, kosher. This second episode of Acts 10 shows us, not only is God moving in the lives of Gentiles or the lost, like Cornelius, but God is also moving in the lives of the saved, like Peter. Now, as I already mentioned, the last five months have been stressful and weird and difficult for many of us. 
But I think this text shows us that God has been at work in your life and in my life to accomplish his good purposes. Um, For example, you've probably had a lot more time with your spouse and your family, or if you're single, with your roommates. The Lord has been using that time to deepen those relationships, maybe rub off some sharp edges here and there, and make those relationships what you want them to be and what he wants them to be. Decide another example. If you've had kids at home, you've had to take over their education, and you never thought you'd do that. But the Lord in his mercy has showed you that you have a skill set that you didn't know existed. And while you're probably speaking in tongues because schools are reopening, (laughs) you now realize the Lord has given you grace and capacity to do some things that you didn't think you could do before. Or decide a third example. If you're like me, you've probably spent way too many hours on Zoom. But the Lord has used that to grow us in our perseverance and our endurance and our appreciation for seeing other people in three dimensions rather than in just two dimensions on screen. (laughs) Friends, if the last six months have taught us anything at all, it's that we don't have a clue what the next six months are going to bring. But what we need to know from Acts chapter 10 is that God is not only moving in the lives of lost people because they matter to him, God is moving in the lives of men and women and children who know Jesus just like you do and just like I do. And he has a big, big, big purpose in doing all this. Look at verses 19 through 24 of this text. While Peter was pondering the vision, The Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I've sent them. And Peter went down to the men, and he said, I'm the one you're looking for. What's the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who's well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So Peter invited them in to be his guests, and the next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Well, as the text shows us, Peter's meditating on this vision that he's just received from God. And the Spirit comes and said, hey, there's, there's three men who have come to see you. You are to go with them. And note the words, without hesitation. I sent them. You are to go. Don't hesitate. Go. And so he goes downstairs. He meets them. He finds out they've been sent by this Roman Gentile soldier, Cornelius, who's a God-fearer, and he goes with them. Now, it's a 30-mile trek from Joppa, which is down here, to Caesarea, which is up here. And so Peter gathers some of his entourage, and then he, along with his entourage, join the group from Cornelius and takes them two days to get back up to Caesarea. And once they go there, they enter the home of Cornelius. 
And the text says that he's got his friends, his relatives, everybody's there. Peter walks in and Cornelius, we won't read this, but it says in the text, Cornelius falls on his knees to worship Peter. And Peter says, get up off your knees. I'm just a man. And he says, why did you send for me? And then what's really interesting is Cornelius tells Peter his vision. And then Peter tells Cornelius his vision. And Luke rehearses all this because he wants you and me to know as the reader of this text that God was moving in the lives of both the saved and the lost so that he could then move the saved to engage the lost. He's trying to get believers, Christians, followers of Jesus to engage those who do not yet know Jesus. Friends, God's calling you and me as his saved people. People who have placed their faith in Christ. To engage people. Get to know people. Have relationships with people. Who do not yet know him. James Emery White is one of my favorite pastors and writers. He started a church down in Charlotte, North Carolina in 1991 with 50 people, and it now runs over 14,000 people. Most of those people are converts. They did not know Jesus, and he and his church have seen the fruit of the Lord bringing them to personal faith in Jesus. In a blog post he made last week, here's what he said, and I love this. If you've stopped inviting your friends to attend church simply because there's no longer a physical service to attend, you're missing out on one of the greatest outreach opportunities in our lifetime. Now is the best, greatest, easiest time to invite people to come and see, come and hear, come and explore in the most non-threatening way online imaginable, online church. He's making a great point, friends. Our society's been disrupted. People are hurting. And when people are hurting, they're open. It's a great, great, great opportunity to invite people to church. Who is one person that you know who does not yet know Jesus that you could invite to sign up and come with you to live church, or you could invite to attend church online. See, the Lord is moving in the lives of the saved and the lost in order to get the saved to engage the lost. And in the next section of the narrative, we see exactly why the Lord's doing that. As we just read, Peter's in the house of Cornelius, and there's lots of people there, almost all of them unbelievers, the lost. So look what Peter tells them, starting in verse 37. He says, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John, that is John the Baptist, proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. Now, Peter starts off there, and it looks like Cornelius and the people there have heard about Jesus and his ministry. They don't know much about him, but they've heard about him because he was very prominent. And so Peter rehearses the public 
visible ministry of Jesus. But then he gets to the crux. Look what he says. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he, that is Jesus, is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in his name receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Oh, this is a great, great, great section of our text. Because right here, Peter gives the gospel to Cornelius and all the rest of the people in his house. And he tells us very clearly what exactly what the gospel is. It is the good news that Jesus is God's long-awaited Messiah. That Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried. But then he was resurrected from the dead. He will come back at some point in human history to judge the living and the dead. And because of what he's done for us on the cross, anyone who believes in him, anyone who believes in him, any man, any woman, any child of any ethnicity, any religious background, anyone who believes in him can receive the forgiveness of their sins and the promise of eternal life. Friends, This text makes it crystal clear that God is moving in the lives of both the saved and the lost so he can get the saved to engage the lost with the good news of the gospel. He's moving in us and through us and beyond us to bring the gospel to all kinds of different people so they can be saved. So they can come to a personal saving relationship with Jesus. And that's exactly what happens in this text. It's awesome. Look at verses 44 and 45. While Peter was still saying these things, he's preaching the gospel. The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised, meaning those Jewish Christians who had come with Peter, were amazed, astounded, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was now poured out even on the Gentiles. Oh, do we see what God has done here? He's been working in the life of Cornelius to get him to send people to Peter. And he's been working in Peter's life to get him to see that everybody should be included in the preaching of the gospel. And then he gets Peter to go to Cornelius, the saved to engage the lost. And then he gives him the gospel. And Cornelius and his whole household respond. And they get the gift of the Holy Spirit. Salvation has come to those men and women and children. In the early 19th century, the American frontier was expanding like crazy. Millions and millions and millions of Americans were moving west at an incredibly rapid rate. The frontier was vast and huge. And oftentimes it was a pretty nasty, dirty, lawless place. But there were a group of people called Baptist circuit riders. And they used to go out on the frontier and preach the gospel. And as a result, thousands and thousands and thousands of men and women and children became Baptist Christians. At one point, an Episcopal bishop 
asked Francis Wayland, who at that time was the influential president of Brown University, which, believe it or not, was originally a Baptist school. And this Episcopal bishop asked Wayland, why is it that Baptists are growing so much so fast? And Wayland said, we don't ask permission. I love that. Brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit is moving in us and through us and beyond us to bring the gospel to all kinds of people so they can be saved. So let's don't ask permission. If the time's right and the person's there and you think you think they might be open, give them the good news of the gospel just like Peter did to the house of Cornelius, just like all those Baptist circuit riders did to people on the frontier. Listen, listen, listen. I, I know, I know the last five and six months have been difficult. I know they've been taxing. They've been draining. They've been just plain weird. I know that all of us are concerned about our families and our friends. We're concerned about the economy and jobs. We're concerned about the direction of our country. I know all that. But in the middle of all of this stuff that's been going on, let us keep in mind that the Lord Jesus sits on his throne in heaven and he disperses his Holy Spirit to continue to move and work and extend the kingdom of God by the good news of the gospel. Now, if you've been around Denver for a while, and especially around South Fellowship for a while, or maybe even a long while, you know what a great legacy of ministry this church has. This church has had decades of solid Bible teaching and really good worship. Worship today was fantastic. God bless you, Aaron Darwin. This church has always tried to place a high priority of ministry on its kids and its youth because that's so important. In recent years, we've developed this tremendous food bank led by Sharon and Aaron and Michelle and so many others of you who have volunteered to help out there, and it's meeting huge needs in our community. This facility is paid for. We owe no debt on this facility. And in this day and age, that is an enormous advantage. And we have lots and lots of great and committed people here. Our elders are terrific, and we have really good staff. And many, many, many of you are just so committed to the ministry of this church. And now we have a new pastor coming, Alex Walton, and he's on public record as saying he wants us to move more in the direction of outreach. And I think that is fantastic. So given all that, friends, let's remember that Jesus is always moving. He's always at work, whether the times are tough or whether the times are really good. Let's not forget that he's working in your life and my life to accomplish his good purposes. And of greatest importance, let's always, always, always keep in mind that he is moving in us and through us and beyond us to get us to engage lost people and give them the gospel so that they too can be saved. So let's pray for the people we know who do not yet know Jesus. Let's invite them to come to church physically or online. And when the time's right, 
Let's simply tell them about what Jesus has done for them without asking permission. Because their eternal destiny is at stake. Let me pray for us. And then Aaron's going to come back up. Father, I pray that your spirit would descend upon us, that you would fill us with your grace and your love, that you would encourage us to reach out to people who do not yet know you, but who you died for, and that you want to see in heaven with you and with us. And we ask this now in the great and powerful name of Jesus and for our sake. Amen. If God is working in your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give online at southfellowship.org give. Thanks for listening, South Family, and have a great rest of your day.